and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. This morning, Pastor Rob begins by asking us several times, where is your treasure? What is your treasure? Choose it carefully. We begin at Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. Where is your treasure? We all have treasure. Uh, we do. So where's your treasure? Beside you in your marriage bed? In each of your children's bedrooms? In the bank? Where is your treasure? At your home address, sitting on the concrete foundation? In your garage? Where is your treasure? In the new Yankee Stadium? Sitting all around you in the sanctuary this morning? Where is your treasure? In your lap right now, opened, ready to be studied. Where is your treasure? At the right hand of the Father on high? Where is your treasure? The Lord Jesus taught us that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is very clear on this, that our hearts follow our treasures. Therefore, if our hearts follow our treasures, we would do very well to choose our treasure carefully. Today we're going to consider the treasure who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, we read this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Here in verse 1, the Apostle Paul acknowledged that helping other Christians to grow into spiritual maturity is very hard work. It's a great struggle. The very same Greek word was seen back in chapter 1, verse 29, if you would, see that with me. For this purpose, also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Here in chapter 2, verse 1, it's saying that the work of helping any other Christian to mature in Christ is exhausting, striving work. 129, the word's translated striving. Here in this verse, it is translated struggle. It's the Greek word agona. Agona, from which we get the English word agony. And so the text is saying that when we set about being serious about helping any other believer in Christ to grow up into full maturity to Jesus, it's agonizing, exhausting work. And any of us who have embarked upon that work understand that fully. It's joyful work. It's rewarding work, but it is exhausting. It is agonizing in its level of effort required. And so the first point is that helping another Christian to maturity in Christ is exhausting work. 
Let's go on to read verses 1 and 2 now. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who I have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. Will you please notice with me, church, that the wealth that's the most important and valuable wealth of all is a person. That wealth is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is that wealth. In fact, he is all wealth. See it there in verse 2? That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. The Lord Jesus Christ this morning and forever is perfect wealth. He is all the wealth worth having. He is the best and the most important one of all. I mean, think about it. The Lord Jesus Christ, Savior from sin, advocate in heaven, true life, eternal life, our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, the completely satisfactory payment for our sins, our truth, our way, our life, our only possible passageway to heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, our healer, grace mingled with truth. The Lord Jesus Christ, our guarantor of resurrection, our perfect example, our bridge from self-rebellion to forgiveness and to adoption into God's forever family. The Lord Jesus Christ, the lover of our soul, the preparer of our place in heaven, our hope, our righteousness, our once for all time sacrifice made whose blood washes away our sins, spares us from God's wrath, brings us near to God, cleanses our conscience from dead works, the blood of Christ which causes us to overcome our accuser, Satan. Think about it. All the worth of the treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's more. We see not only is the Lord Jesus Christ the most valuable wealth, in fact, all the wealth, he is also, third point, the hiding place for all of the treasures of true wisdom and knowledge. Jesus Christ is the hiding place of all the treasures of true wisdom and knowledge. I see that in verse 3, but I'm going to read verses 1 to 3 to give us our context. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Maybe you are acquainted with the Matarushka dolls from Russia. 
These Matarushka dolls are carved out of wood. They're nesting little dolls. And there's the largest one, and you unscrew it, and then the next smaller doll is inside, and you work your way down, all the way down to the most tiny Marushka Russian doll in the center. This verse is saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is like the largest Russian nesting doll of all. All the truths of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Your Savior. In Christ, your Lord. All of the treasures of true wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Look no other place. There is a tale. I don't know that it is true. But the tale begins with the death of a certain man. And an auction subsequent to the man's death of all his goods. There was a picture of the deceased gentleman's son who died early in life. The only person to bid at auction for the picture of the deceased man's deceased son was a nurse that cared for the boy before he died. And so she did not pay much for the likeness of the boy, but she bought it and she took it home. And when she got it home, there was a, a bulge or a, something on the back of the, of the frame. And so she cut it open, and inside that pouch was the deceased father's will. And it said that whoever would purchase the image and the likeness of his son and would cherish the memory of his son enough to buy the picture would be entitled to the man's entire estate. Church, may we be reminded this morning that we must hold dear the Son of God because all of our inheritance in him. All of the treasures of true wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. And now today's personal God story. This morning we have Pamela Roker with us in the studio and I'm so glad to see you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, do you work outside your home? I do, yes. I work at Doctors Hospital in their marketing department. Oh, very good. I drive by Doctors Hospital every day going to work. And you're newly married? Um, yeah, you can say that. Um, two years this month, actually. So, fairly new. That's great. Well, the yeah. Lord has made a great team with you and your husband, Michael. Yeah, he has. Yeah, it's <laughs> obvious to see that. Well, why we're here is that you very graciously have uh, agreed to tell a bit of the story that God has written in your life, and uh, I know it'll be an encouragement to people who are listening. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what your life was like before Christ? I'm not originally from the Bahamas. I'm originally from Curacao, and so where I come from, everybody is predominantly Catholic. And my father grew up Catholic, and he wanted us to grow up Catholic as well, although my mother... She had a lot of religious background, I mm -hmm. guess you could say, but my father was very um, stronghold on us being Catholic, so I guess before the age of seven, I'd been baptized and I did my Holy Communion. And um, we used to go to church on special occasions, not really anything like every every Sunday or anything like that. So um, you could say we knew God and we knew about God, mm -hmm. but not necessarily that we had a relationship with Jesus. Um, 
And so by the age of seven, my dad and my mom had separated. And so my mom was kind of forced to raise us on her own. And for me, I think that was something that really impacted my life um, in a sense of um, I was really angry and really resentful towards my dad um, for a very long time. And I guess that brought me into a situation or into a feeling of always needing to kind of be with somebody mm -hmm. to kind of have that fulfillment or to kind of take his place or to having to feel loved or mm -hmm. by somebody else or wanting somebody else to make me happy. So I guess um, as I was growing up, I was in different relationships with different guys and having that expectation of them having to fill that void, I guess, from that all of that anger and resentment that I had towards my dad. So that was kind of what my life was like, you could say, before I really started getting more into wanting to know Christ more. You said an, uh, an awful lot in, and well in a few words. Transition with me from what your life was like before Jesus Christ to some of the circumstances that God wrote into play that you had actually come to transfer your trust to Jesus alone? Well, um, at the age of 17, I went away to school and I went to school in the Netherlands. And um, while away in school, I feel like God used a lot of different people and a lot of different circumstances to kind of make me realize that he was calling me to him. I think one of the first ones was my best friend. I mean, we used to go out together, and like she's my, she's still my best friend. Um, we've been best friends since third grade. Wow, nice. Yeah. So um, she was telling me how her sister actually came to saving faith in Jesus while she was off in school in London, and um, she looks up to her sister very much. And so I think um, that was a step for her and a push for her to kind of want to know more about Jesus and and know what what exactly her sister had gotten into. And so she started going to church with her sister. And um, one Sunday they invited me to come. And I think before that, I was living on my own. And so I feel like I was getting more into um, wanting to know more about my faith. And, and from a very young age, as I said before, we grew up Catholic, but not really but not really Catholic. I don't know really how to explain it, but we we had some of the, the traditions and stuff like that, but we didn't really follow any religion. But I, I never really understood a lot of the things that they did, a lot of the traditions and a lot of the rituals, mostly because I knew that a lot of the things that were done were kind of uh, spoken against in the Bible, so I didn't really understand the link. And so going back to when I was away in school, so I went to the church with her, and um, that's where I made the decision to to follow Jesus. So I was prayed for and prayed with, and I decided to accept Jesus as my Savior. And so they linked me up to a church in the city where I was living. And so I started going to church there. And although I was going to church, I still really hadn't transformed my life I guess you would say into a way that um, where God would be pleased where, with the way that I was living. So after that, I moved. Um, well, before I moved, I moved again to a different city. But before I moved, I came actually came to the Bahamas on an internship as where as where I met my husband. Uh huh. And um, 
I think um, God used him as well in bringing me closer to him in a sense of I saw his dedication and his wanting to know God more and his desire for God. And I think that really inspired me because at this point, I guess I was a Christian, but I wasn't really living like a Christian. And so to see his desire for God um, really inspired me to want to know more about God. I was like, oh, I really like this guy and he loves God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I'm, I was really intrigued, I guess, by that. And so um, I went back to the Netherlands and we decided to do um, a long distance relationship, which was really good for me because, like I said before, I think in, in the past I'd relied a lot on my relationships to kind of be the fulfillment and my happiness. And mm -hmm. so him being away, God planned that perfectly so that I would be on my own, but still have him as my friend on a distance mm -hmm. and so when I came back I moved um, to a different city and my housemate she is a Christian so God led me right to that and so she invited me to go to church with her and I went to church with her for um, a good couple of months and although I didn't really feel too comfortable in the church but it was still getting God's word and still reading getting more into the Bible and reading more and at that time, I had applied for a job and I got the job. And there were some circumstances with a job where I had to move to a different department. And there I met a girl now that she is one of my best friends now. Um, she's a sister in Christ. And she was telling me about Jesus. She's really dedicated. Like she used to read her Bible in her lunch break. Mm -hmm. And she used to be, she, I mean, she still is really in love with Jesus. And so that intrigued me as well. So we became very, very good friends and I got to share my faith with her. She got to share her faith with me. And so we, we got really close. So I started going to her church. She invited me to her church. I started going to her church. And I think that's where it really clicked for me. That's where I really encountered God and enc encountered Jesus and really had wanted to change the way that I was living and really surrender all to to Jesus and I think that was the turning point for me where like it all came together and that's wonderful thank you um your story is sort of like my own story in that I trusted Jesus to be my savior and then came to struggle about the lordship of Jesus in my life. Was he really my master and did my decisions in life reflect that? Mm -hmm. And so I think if in hearing your story, Pamela, it's similar that both of us may if there been some time between actually being saved and coming to grips with the lordship of Jesus in our in our lives. Mm -hmm. So um, thank you so much for uh, letting us in on what God is doing and and uh, has done and is doing. And the Lord bless you and Michael and your uh, married life together. And you yeah. serve the Lord together here in our church. What what do you, you do? Um, well, we're youth group leaders. Um, we serve the youth and we do junior church. So we serve the kids and we are Awana leaders as well. So that's we, a kids club midweek. Yeah, you we are busy it. in the Lord's service. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, that's good. Well, we thank you for that as well. And now, help for the hurting with the director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Again, thank you for having us in your homes again this morning. It is indeed a pleasure for us to be able to share with you some of the insight that we have had in the past and are still dealing with, with couples. And one of those areas, as I indicated the last time, was 
prepare in rich. And this morning, I'd like us to look at resolving conflicts and reducing stress in our lives. Resolving conflict, I believe, is one of our problems, not only the Bahamas, but in the world as a whole. Uh, we just don't seem to be ready to sit and listen, discuss, and reason out our differences. We are very quick to pick up a knife, a gun, or whatever we might have and try to destroy the individual rather than working through the issue. Helen, would you like to share? I think conflict uh, is not all bad. I think it's, it's healthy when we can sit and discuss in a mature way what's going on. Uh, we look at the person who probably has a knife or a club, but some of us are very powerful verbally and we diminish someone by unkind words. Like the Word of God says, there's death and life in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and use it, it could be destructive, or it can be building up. And so I guess in each of our life, we have to find out whether we want to build up or we want to be destructive. And many, many times, persons feel very inferior because of the relationship or even our body language. It can be very negative, not at all embracing, and so people don't want to approach us. Okay. In other words, what I'm hearing you say is we should be a part of the building crew and not the wrecking crew because anybody can destroy, anybody can break up something, but building it is another story. So let's make sure that we are on the building crew. We also have another area we deal with, comparing families' background. A couple comes from, in most cases, diverse background. Their way of dealing with issues might be sitting down, talking about that issue, working through it, and moving on. The other person will refuse to talk about it. They internalize it and act it out. I think it's not only just conflict when you compare family backgrounds. Sometimes one person comes from a very poor background. They don't have much to bring to the table. You have someone else coming who come from a background where they were used to many toys or whatever they desire, their parents, or gave it to them. So they're coming into a relationship. They bring their history with them. And if you're not honest and say who you are, then you're going to find when one is trying to penny pinch or one wants to max out the credit card or one wants to go out with friends and the other one wants to come home and retreat for the night. All of that is from family background. And so I think one of the area prepare inventory show us it deals with the background, the history my beginning, who I am. And this is so important for persons to share where they begin and not be dishonest and try to present a false person. You end up marrying some phony and not the person who you've been dating the last two or three years. Okay, another area that we look at is, of course, financial issues. I have had experiences where couple 
would have come to me after being married for two years and the problem was that one of them had enormous bills that was never discussed and this becomes a real problem. Financial issues is very important in a relationship. We need to be upfront about it and be willing to deal with it whenever the issue comes up. You want to comment on that? Finances, uh, it's, it's, it's a big issue, especially today with you coming to marriage with a new home. Then probably you owe for the car. Then maybe your college bills were never paid off. Or you have credit cards that still... It's maxed up. Yeah, and you haven't discussed this. This is dishonest. You should at least say to the person, wherever I went to school, I owe them so much money. I, I can't even get my diploma because this debt is still outstanding. Then I owe the bank for this car and not pretend like you have it together. Be honest and upfront. So if the person wants to say, no, I can't marry you because, you know, coming with a lot of baggage, especially financial baggage, then at least that's in the clear. But if I deceive you and you're thinking, you know, she's debt free or she only has expense for her car, then it's going to create a big problem. And the other side of the coin is you will probably find that depending on who they are, they want at least a $20,000 one day wedding and you're building on the expense that you have. And if I don't know that you have all these bills that are outstanding, that can indeed become a problem. And our last point that I'd like to look at this morning is establishing personal couple and family goals. How important is that? I think we have to establish realistic goals. Um, you know, it reminds me of what Abe Maslow say. Many of us retreat to the past or we project to the future, but we don't deal with the here and now. And I think going to establish a goal for five years down the road and you're struggling with some area of your life as a couple now and not dealing with that or just putting a band-aid on the cancer won't help. We need to deal with personal issues, be honest, and then sit down and discuss realistic goals, what we can do, and maybe not project into the future like five years down the road, but say in a year time, we would like to accumulate $5,000, be more realistic than 20000 and you know you have a limited budget. Thank you very much. That will wrap up our time for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to spend these few moments with you. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.